Well, good evening. Take your Bible and open to the book of Romans. Romans uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 11. And I'll read through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 11. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How is it uh, then, or how then shall they call upon Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. We're returning tonight to our study here in this uh, a uh, 10th chapter of the book of Romans, and I'm telling you, this is a tremendous, just a tremendous portion uh, of uh, Scripture. And we're working our way through uh, the material somewhat slowly, or I mean somewhat on a rapid pace. There's a lot of material here, so we're trying to get through kind of on a rapid pace. And we're kind of in the middle of looking at 9, 10, and 11, which is really a unit uh, where Paul has ex- uh, given an explanation for the unbelief uh, of the nation of Israel, the tragic unbelief of the nation of Israel. If the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Greek, uh, why in the context of the day that Paul is writing uh, this book of, of Romans, why is it that so many Jews have failed to believe the gospel and have failed to believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah? Now, in our studies together, uh, previously I said it's very clear from the text, it's not because God has rejected or cast off his people, Israel. It's not because he's changed his plans for them. And it's not because he's replaced them with another uh, namely uh, the church. Romans 11, 1 says, I say then God has not rejected his people, people has he? Uh, may it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So again, I told you that the fact of Israel's current state of unbelief is really consistent with God's plan. Uh, Israel's unbelief is not a result of the failing of the word of God. Uh, in fact, Israel's unbelief actually confirms the word of God. It, it's consistent with God's electing purposes. It's a, it's a consistent with uh, the promises of God, Israel's current unbelief, and and it's consistent with God's prophetic revelation. Uh, God predicted that uh, uh, Israel would uh, uh, be in unbelief through the prophets, uh, that Israel would reject the Messiah, that Israel would put to death uh, her king, stumbling over the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, as we read back up in chapter 9, verse 33. And Israel's rejection of the gospel is really consistent with God's prerequisite of faith, God never saves apart from faith. Abraham believed God and was counted in his righteousness, right? It, God never saves apart from faith. So all men, even people from the nation of Israel, are required to exercise saving faith in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, sadly, the nation of Israel rejected him. 
So they cut themselves off from the righteousness that they needed to stand in God's presence because no one on their own can, has the righteousness they need to be in the presence of a holy God. And God demands absolute perfection. That's the standard. Not a pretty good effort, but absolute perfection. And men can never achieve that in and of themselves by their own efforts. To get in the, the presence of God, men need a perfect righteousness from a perfect Savior. And again, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. And God grants to us uh, as a gift of his grace, uh, the righteousness of Christ uh, uh, by grace, never through works. Nothing that we ever earn, can earn or, or uh, deserve. It's just by grace alone. And again, Israel should have known that. <clears throat> they should have known that because that's what the Old Testament uh, repeatedly says over and over again. Uh, again, the, the truth is, for the current state of unbelief of the nation of Israel, they really have no excuse. They're without excuse in, in their unbelief. Now, as we've seen so far in our study of chapter 10, uh, Israel's unbelief was willing. Their unbelief is willing. Uh, their spiritual ignorance is a willing uh, ignorance of, of God's righteousness, and it's going to bring condemnation upon them. Uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 10, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Right? Not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, you know that God had, or that Paul has a tremendous love for the nation of Israel, compassion for his, his uh, Jewish uh, brothers. Uh, he is compelled to pray for them. He wants them to see their need of the Savior. Because every man, again, desperately needs a righteousness they don't possess. And a righteousness you can't work for. A righteousness that is found only in Jesus Christ. And, and again, we saw last time when uh, Paul says that uh, reality, and he says it in a certain way, uh, that Christ is the only place that men, and men, both Jews and Gentiles, can find that righteousness that they desperately need. <clears throat> he said it with this phrase back in verse 4, uh, chapter 10. <clears throat> Excuse me, where he said Christ is the end of the law uh, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So again, what he's saying there is Christ and Christ alone ultimately is the only way for us to receive the righteousness that we need to stand before holy God. Christ is the end of the road, so to speak. Uh, Christ is the end of all self-sufficiency. Christ is the end of our trying. Christ is the end of our doing. Christ is the end of all our futile, vain efforts to try to obtain righteousness by our own useless, imperfect acts uh, of attempting to fulfill the law. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I mean, it's a tremendous truth. And again, I've told you a hundred times that all worldly religions are always trying to do something for men to make themselves right before God, which is something they can never do. Christ is what men need. Christ alone is the only place to find the righteousness that man needs to stand before a, a holy God forgiven. But again, the nation on a whole has rejected Christ. Therefore, the nation on a whole has rejected the righteousness that God has provided through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The nation believed on a whole mistakenly they could work listen they could work for what is free they could they thought they could work for what is free they thought they could earn their salvation again which a lot of worldly religions do they thought they could prove their righteousness and their worthiness to enter into heaven by their own good works by their own honest effort but again they're eternally wrong because again god justifies no man by the works of the law but rather by faith alone by believing what god has done for men alone what God has done to make men fit for heaven through the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the Jews rejected that. That's why Paul's heart broken over them. He, he's distraught over them. So he's praying earnestly that God would open their, uh, their eyes, their, their blind eyes, that they would see the truth, that they would come to a place where they embrace Christ as Savior. 
But the sad reality is most of them didn't do that. Just like today, what? Most men don't do that. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new different about men. Israel then, just like many men now, they try to stand in their own righteousness. Therefore, they refuse the righteousness that God has provided them through Christ. But Paul says, look, God's not asking men to do the impossible to receive mercy. He's not asking them to do the impossible to uh, uh, receive grace and pardon for sin. Look at verse 6. Paul's not asking any man to ascend into heaven to bring Christ down. He's not asking any man to descend into the depths of the abyss uh, to bring Christ up from the dead. Remember I told you that's kind of a figure of speech kind of saying this is what's utterly impossible. God's not asking men to do the other impossible. He's just asking men to believe. Just believe in Christ. So men don't have to do the impossible. You don't have to climb to the mountaintops. You don't have to contemplate yourself. Uh, you don't have to you beat yourself with sticks, which people do all around the world, right, to try to, quote-unquote, earn their salvation. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is believe. Believe what God says he's done through the person of Christ. Receive mercy and forgiveness of sin as a, as a gift. All that men have to do to have their sin forgiven, to have the relationship reconciled, to be granted eternal life is verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. With the heart, verse 10, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now we come to verse 11, and I'm telling you what, this is a full passage. This is tremendous. You'll be encouraged by it when we're done. Verse 11. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And as we work our way through the next seven verses or so, we're going to see three things that are going to pop out. And I'll try to draw them to your attention again along the way. But first, salvation is available to all men. Secondly, somebody needs to go with the message of the gospel. And third, men, after hearing the truth, some of them still aren't going to believe. Salvation is available to all men. Some are going to need to go with the message of the gospel. Someone needs to go with the message of the gospel. And third, again, some men, after hearing the truth, still won't believe. So let's look at the first one. Salvation is possible for all. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So again, Paul once again is reminding us the gospel that he is declaring is nothing new. It's not a new invention. It's not a new doctrine. In fact, the prophets through the Old Testament taught the very same doctrine that he is teaching. And he does this again because he wants to affirm the fact that he's not teaching some new kind of religion on the scene. He's, he's a proclaimer of something old. And through all this text, 9, 10, 11, he keeps referring back to the Old Testament Scripture uh, because he's trying to do that to confirm the divine authority with which he speaks. This is what God says, right? That's what he's doing. So not only has had his brethren, his, his kinsmen according to the flesh of the Jews, not only have they rejected the righteousness of the person of Jesus Christ, not only had they tried to work for what is free, not only had they tried to establish their own righteousness, they had utterly failed to understand that God's free gift of salvation, listen, was for every man. It was for every man. They wrongly believed because that they were God's chosen people that salvation was exclusively for them. And Paul says they simply didn't understand that God extends salvation to all men, even Gentiles. Again, this is not something new. This is something old. This is something taught throughout the entire Old Testament. And it's clearly taught in the Old Testament. For, so again, verse 11, for the Scripture says, that comes out of Isaiah 28, verse 16. Paul had just referenced that passage of Scripture back in chapter 9, 
verse 33, where it says, Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. It comes out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 28. So when Isaiah says, and then when Paul says, when Isaiah says, and when Paul says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, that whoever believes means, here you go, that whoever believes means whoever believes. You're good. Whoever believes. Jew and Gentile alike. That's always been God's uh, desire to save. God has always been willing to save whoever calls upon him. Whoever believes in him. Now, in fact, God had taken the nation of Israel and called them to be his witness nation, if you will, his witness to the nations. They were to have been, Exodus 19, verse 6, they were to, as a nation, they were to have been a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in order that they might proclaim the salvation of God to the world, again, salvation to the world through the true and the living God, but they failed utterly in their task. Isaiah, or uh, um, Psalm 96, verse 3, tell of the glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Isaiah 45, verse 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So again, the salvation that God wants to give men is for whoever, for whoever believes, for all who believe. And again, that's something that God clearly defined in the Old Testament, clearly set forth in the Old Testament. Salvation comes again not to men based on their nation of origin, not upon their works, but solely salvation comes to men because God's merciful. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Paul said that back at the beginning of the book of Romans, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. First uh, Timothy 2.3, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come in all of the truth. Peter, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God desires all men, all nations, all classes to be saved. He has a mercy and a grace for, and a, and a, for men, a, a love that is poured out upon all men as a gift that is received simply by believing. And those who do not come to saving faith or saving knowledge of the truth, they are lost. And, and they are lost because they have rejected what God freely offers through Christ, which, as we talked about this morning, is eternal life. Men do not go to eternal damnation because they weren't elect. You're not going to read that verse anywhere in the Bible. It's not there. Men aren't eternally damned because they weren't elect. Men who go to eternal damnation are there because they're guilty sinners who have rejected God's only means of mercy and grace, that being through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why people are lost. Those who are uh, eternally perish, Second Thessalonians 2, verse 10, they do so because they have not received the love of the truth as to be saved. Those who eternally perish, perish because they have not received the love of the truth to be saved. You can only be saved by the truth. You can't be saved apart from the truth. You can't be saved apart from the revelation of the Word of God. On the other side, the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Right? Verse 11. Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Now, I think most of your translations at that point uh, say, uh, whoever believes in Him will never be put to shame. And that little phrase, put to shame, was one Greek word. It means dishonored, disgraced, rejected. So, so men who think that they can come to God based upon anything except Jesus Christ, listen, they will be ashamed. 
they're going to find that they put themselves in a position of false hope. Mercy plus merit is false hope. Uh, False hope in Christ uh, is found in Christ plus something. Something they do, something they don't do. And and again, all the worldly religions work on that uh, that scale. And so all worldly religions, and people who believe the worldly religions, apart from the truth, are going to be disappointed. They're going to be ashamed. But everyone who believes in Christ will never be put to shame. Now again, the Jews are ashamed. The Jews were ashamed because they refused Christ. They tried to insert their own righteousness in the place of His. Why, why, do I, why do I need Christ if I can work my way to heaven? That's basically what they're saying, right? I can do it. You know, Isn't that what they, the cheerleaders say? You can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can. Well, most of the time, your team's behind by 50, and you're not going to do it, and you can't do it, right? And they couldn't do it. Nobody can do it. Anytime you try to insert your righteousness in the place of the righteousness of Christ, you're in error. That's to be eternally deceived. And again, many men today are in that same category. They're deceived. They're going to be ashamed because they refuse Christ. They always try to insert their own, quote-unquote, good and honest effort. Well, after all, I am a good person, right? I'm nice. I try to be good to my fellow man. Sometimes people who attend a place of worship on a regular basis, they're deceived because they mix Christ with their attendance. Right? I never missed a Sunday. Good for you. I'm glad you shouldn't. It's not going to get you eternal life. Some people think, well, because I teach, I'm a preacher, I'm an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. All all that's not going to get you eternal life. Christ plus anything is not going to get you eternal life. That's just error. So again, false hope comes to every man who mixes Christ plus anything. Anytime you hear anybody give you a message of Christ plus anything, that's error. Listen, false hope comes to those who mix mercy with merit. False hope comes to those who mix mercy with merit. And again, those who make that kind of uh, mistake, it's an eternally fatal mistake. They're going to be ashamed. They're going to be disappointed. It's only those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone who are not going to be ashamed. It's only those who believe upon Christ alone that will not be disappointed when he comes again and he comes again uh, in judgment. So again, salvation for all men is possible for anybody who believes. And any who, anybody who believes upon the person of Christ is going to be eternally secure, eternally safe, delivered from the wrath of God to come, and that's what's coming. But the issue is you personally, individually, you have to do that. You have to believe. Again, look at verse 9. If Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it's an eternally deadly delusion to think that you can sit here tonight having heard what is being discussed this evening and not act upon this truth personally. So if you've not done so already, the command by way of Scripture is you need to repent. You need to call out for God, call out to God for mercy through Christ. Because to hear the proclamation of the truth and not act upon it immediately is eternally foolish. Because the truth is, every one of us in the room, one day our life's going to come to an end. And when our life comes to an end, we're going to have to be, we're going to be required to give an account for our life and explain ourselves. And if you reject Christ in time, the scripture says that your mouth is going to be closed. 
and everybody's without excuse. Then you'll come to a position where you understand the eternal reality of your failure because you, uh, the, the eternal reality of your failure is you fail to cry out to God for mercy through Christ to receive the eternal salvation that he desires to give you freely as a gift. So as the scripture says, today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. The command is to call to God in mercy presently. And there's no excuse not to do so. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll most certainly, really is the idea, be saved. For the scripture says, whoever calls upon him will not be put ashamed. Uh, will not be put to shame. Whoever calls, whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. Well, why is that? How does that work? How is that possible? Well, the text is going to give us three reasons here. Three reasons why everyone who trusts in Christ will never be ashamed. And the reasons all begin here in the text with the word for, F-O-R, F-O-R, for, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So that first, <coughs> excuse me, phrase in verse 12, 4. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now again, Paul just is unrelenting, unrelenting in his declaration of truth. Again, his fellow countrymen, the Jews, they already hate him. They hate him. They've tried to kill him. Uh, they believe that he has abandoned the faith. They believe that he has uh, blasphemed God. But the truth is them. The truth is it's them. It's the Jews. They've not understood the truth. It's the Jews who have blasphemed God. It's the Jews who have not understood and don't have that knowledge we talked about this morning of the true and the living God. They've not only failed to understand God and His righteousness and His holiness, not only have they tried to work for what is free, not only have they murdered the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, but now Paul says they have failed to understand that God makes no distinction between Jew and Greek. They fail to understand God's love and mercy is for all men, extends to all men everywhere. Salvation is for all. Now, that's a devastating uh, <clears throat> idea, devastating comment uh, to a group of people who believed they were saved and they were all right before God <clears throat> because they, the Jews, were God's specially chosen nation, specially chosen people, the nation of Israel. And it's a term, tremendously humbling truth to them, uh, this proud, arrogant group, that, listen, God's no respecter of persons. And while it is true in a certain sense that Israel is God's chosen people and they had received many benefits, many blessings, they too were like all men everywhere. They were sinners. And sinners are all desperately in need for a Savior, in need of a righteousness they don't possess, nor could they in themselves work up that righteousness <clears throat> that they need and every other man needs to stand before holy God. So again, verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. All men need Christ. All men need the righteousness that Christ provides by way of his substitutionary sacrifice upon Calvary's cross. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. <clears throat> uh, one person says this. He says, The barrier to salvation is not racial or cultural, but personal rejection of the God who offers it. Right? The barrier to salvation is not racial or cultural, but personal rejection of the God who's offering it. So again, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The, the second phrase here, for the same Lord is Lord of all. The same Lord is the Lord of all. Now I think in the context there, 
I think Paul's speaking of specifically Christ. He's saying that salvation comes to those who recognize and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's already said that Jesus Christ is both Lord over all, both Jews and Gentiles, that he's the only Savior among men, right? 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God, one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So again, there's no salvation. We talk about this always or a lot of times on Sunday morning. There's no salvation found for the person who doesn't understand who Jesus Christ is. Most important question in the universe, who do you think Jesus is? And for those who wrongly believe that Jesus is a created being, for those who wrongly believe that he's the half-brother of Lucifer or uh, anything other than the Lord, they wrongly believe in a counterfeit Christ, uh, a counterfeit Jesus. And listen, to believe in a counterfeit Jesus is going to damn your soul eternally. To believe in a counterfeit Jesus is going to damn your soul for eternity in hell. And not only is Christ Lord of all, look what he says. He's abounding. He's overflowing. He's spilling over. He's generously giving in riches for all who call upon him. But to be the recipient of that abundant, abounding, overflowing, spilling over riches, to be the recipient of God's mercy and God's grace, you have to do what? Call upon him. You have to call upon him. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him, verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, verse 13 comes out of Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Again, it's another Old Testament quote by Paul to show that God's message of salvation, again, was to all the nations, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. So again, to call upon the name of the Lord means that you acknowledge him for who he is and, and, and rightly relate to him. And that phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord, was often used in the Old Testament as it related to the issue of prayer and praise and, and belief and trust and, and the, the correct worship of God. And here in verse 13, I think in most of your translations, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is in all caps, uh, because again, it's an Old Testament quote. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, L-O-R-D caps. Whoever will, will call upon the name of uh, Jehovah, or uh, if you have the uh, uh, legacy standard, I think it says uh, Yahweh, right? will be saved. Verse 12, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Uh, again, both, basically both verses are saying the same thing. Whoever calls upon God, God the Father, God the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, right, both equal, they will be saved. They are abounding in riches for all who call upon them, really is the issue. So again, to call upon the name of the Lord, when you get to that spot, you realize that you're in a position that you have no hope. You have no hope apart from Christ. You're a sinner desperately in need of a Savior, desperately in need of God's mercy and grace. To call upon the name of the Lord means that you're refusing to bring anything of yourself to the table, so to speak. You're you're refusing to look at your works, your own works, your own effort, your own self-righteousness. To call upon the name of the Lord means that you are calling out and embracing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and placing all your hope, all your faith, all your confidence, all your trust in Him and Him alone. To call upon the name of the Lord means that you believe that He died for your sin upon Calvary's cross. And you're trusting Him alone for your right standing before God the Father. To call upon the name of the Lord means you understand along with the hymn writer, a top lady who says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. 
To call upon the name of the Lord means that you're choosing mercy and eternal life. To call upon the name of the Lord means that you will most certainly be saved. You'll escape the wrath that is coming. You'll enjoy eternal life. Because of salvation, again, salvation is for everybody. Jew and Gentile, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. The, The door, the way, whatever picture you want there is wide open. Just come. Easy, accessible, free to all men everywhere at all times. Again, verse 11, the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches, for all who call upon him, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? But for that to happen, somebody's got to go to the world and tell this most wonderful good news to men. That's point two. For the masses of people in the world don't know that truth. They know the truth. They don't know the simplicity of salvation. They don't find, know the, the simplicity of salvation found in the free offer of mercy and grace from our God through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He has done to accomplish man's reconciliation and redemption on Calvary's cross. So if God has tremendously good news for man, and He does, that men can be forgiven their sin, and they can, that men can have eternal peace through the shed blood of His Son, then somebody has to tell them. So simply, it's just a progress of logic that Paul uses here. It's uh, If to say only those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, therefore, then verse 14, how shall they then call upon him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. So again, in order to call upon the name of the Lord, you have to believe. In order to believe, you have to have heard about him. In order to have heard him or heard about him, you have to have had a preacher who has been sent to deliver to you the truth or the good news of God's free offer of salvation and forgiveness of sin found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you wanted to turn it around and kind of look at it from the other direction, you would get a preacher has to be sent. A message has to be declared, and that message has to be about Jesus Christ. And that message of Jesus Christ has to be heard so that men can believe upon him. And when men believe upon him, they can call upon him. When they call upon him, they can be saved. And when they call upon him to be saved, they'll not be what? Disappointed. Conversion doesn't happen in a vacuum. Conversion doesn't just happen. Men are never saved apart from a clear presentation of the truth. And an understanding of the truth has to precede saving faith. And to have an understanding of truth clearly presented, you have to send one. One has to be sent. One has to go with that message of hope, that message of help. And God in his mercy has done that throughout the ages, right? God in his mercy has sent men, his prophets, his messengers, from the Old Testament and through the New Testament, declaring the way of salvation, declaring freedom from sin and its bondage. And again, the way of salvation is not found in effort or religious activity. The way of salvation is found in a person. It's the person of his son, the dear Lord Jesus Christ. And the way of salvation is found in him and him alone. So God has sent his messengers to the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, among whom Paul, and in the context, is one. And, and they still refuse to believe. But the question is, has God failed his people? Has God's word failed? 
You might remember that from our earlier discussions in uh, chapter 9. And the answer to that question is no, right? A thousand times over, no. God's word hasn't failed. God has not failed in his word. Uh, for a thousand years, he continued, thousands of years, uh, he continued to proclaim the fact that he was merciful, gracious, long-suffering, full of compassion for those who call upon him, full of mercy. Israel had the messengers. Israel had the scriptures. Israel had the word of God. They had the Messiah, and yet they still refused to believe. Verse 15, how shall they preach unless they're sent? Again, God wasn't silent. He sent his messengers to the nation of Israel over and over again, the message of mercy and grace. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring God tidings of good things. Now again, that comes out of the Old Testament. It comes out of Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, uh, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now in the context of uh, Isaiah, excuse me, when he wrote that, it really was a, 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 in the context of a celebration of Israel's release and deliverance from Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. But Paul says, look, I'm, I'm going to use it here. I'm going to help us understand a greater deliverance and a greater truth. That's deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. Isaiah goes on in that 52nd chapter, verse 10. He says, the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. And then in the context of Isaiah, he continues to teach and continues to preach, and he turns his attention in that context to the suffering servant of Yahweh, the suffering servant of God, the Messiah. Isaiah 52, verse 13, that one who will come and be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. That's That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's when men, every minute, everywhere, all men everywhere, look to him and only to him, to this one as high and lifted up, that they'll see the salvation of God. And again, it's an offer that God has been given from the beginning. Now when you come to verse 16, which is uh, the next point uh, in the thing, uh, my list I gave you at the beginning, um, it's a, a, a mood change, a dramatic mood change. And the tone now from rejoicing that whoever will come, uh, it's now, uh, uh, verse 16, Paul says, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings of Isaiah's message. Or, uh, for Isaiah says, the Lord who's believed our report. Heed, hupakuo, uh, akuo, acoustics. Uh, they didn't hear. They didn't listen. They, they didn't line up under the teaching. They didn't line up under the proclamation of God's truth. They didn't listen attentively to the truth that God was proclaiming all through the Old Testament and and did not line up under submission for obedience. Despite the fact that God over and over again through his kindness and mercy sent his messengers with the good news. In spite of this clear presentation of the truth, he says some still are not going to believe. They didn't heed the report. They they didn't believe this most wonderful message about this most wonderful person that God promised from the beginning that he would send would be the deliverer. Now, I think most of your versions, or many of your versions, verse 16 says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. And and again, to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. It's personally to respond to God's offer of mercy with your own mouth calling upon the name of the Lord. And with your own mouth 
confessing belief in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him victoriously from the dead. Now again, in Paul's day, most of his brethren did not believe. Most of the Jews didn't believe, but some did. He himself did, for a fact, Paul. And there was a time when he was not a believer in the person of Jesus Christ. But God in his mercy revealed the truth to him, opened his eyes to the truth. Again, not all who will not all will heed or listen to or believe the message uh, of glad tidings, but some will, is the point he's making. Because God's always going to have a remnant. God's going to have a remnant of, of, of Israel who will believe. God's always going to have a remnant of those who will listen, hear, believe, and call upon the person of Christ, again, as God has sent out his messengers of grace. And now, we, as the recipients of God's grace, as the recipients of God's mercy, uh, he sends us out. Right? He, he sends us out to proclaim the gospel, the free offer of forgiveness of, of mercy versus punishment. He, he entrusts us with that message. So again, as the recipients of God's mercy, he calls us to be vessels of grace. He, he calls us to be messengers of reconciliation. He calls us to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors of grace. Because there is there any number of people in the world who've still not heard that truth. They've not heard the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Now, as God sends us out, we're not responsible for conversion. We're not responsible for the results. Listen, you can't make somebody else believe. You can't convince them into a corner and show all the proofs and people go, oh, now I see the argument. No, it's, not, it's not the way it works. It's a spiritual death, the spiritual life issue. We're not in charge of conversion. Our responsibility as God's ambassadors is to simply proclaim the message. Just be faithful to the message. Just declare the gospel. That's our part in the whole thing. Declare the gospel to whoever God puts in our path. Just be faithful. Just declare the message of hope. Again, the gospel of grace. Explain the truth and, and give an answer for the hope that you have, that we have in the person of, of Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. Get out of the way, then leave the results to God. Now, when you come to verse 17, Paul's going to kind of summarize all of that that he's just said in the first 16 verses here. Verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And really, in the context, it's saving faith comes by hearing. Salvation doesn't, salvation doesn't come to men through dreams and visions and subjective experiences or mystical experiences. Salvation doesn't come to men through meditation or a walk on the golf course or contemplation or philosophy or intuition. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Salvation comes to men who have heard the truth of the gospel. Clearly pointing men to their only hope found alone in one person, that being the person of Jesus Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now I can't get too uh, technical here, but let me just take a little dive off. I think you'll be encouraged by this. The second half of the verse here is really interesting. And I think the key to understanding this verse really lies in understanding the phrase, by the word of Christ. By the word of Christ. There are now a large number of commentators take that phrase, by the word of 
that's the key word, the word of Christ, to be what is known as an objective genitive. Now, a genitive is just a part of grammar that indicates possession, of Christ, belongs to, right? Or close association or ownership of something. So if you take that phrase in the objective genitive, you get faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word about Christ is really kind of the idea. That's the meaning of the context of the message in, in that uh, understanding in that way, as the, in the objective. And that's absolutely true. There's nothing wrong with that. However, there are a number of other commentators that come and, and say, well, no, uh, by the word of Christ is really a subjective. It's a subjective genitive. And if the phrase is a subjective genitive, and that's kind of the side I would line on, line on, I think that really dramatically changes what he's saying here. Instead of hearing by the word about Christ in the objective sense, you get the idea in the subjective sense that Christ is actually the one speaking the gospel message, or God, Christ is the one speaking the word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ as if he's the one who's actually speaking the word. That's really the idea. Now look back up at verse 14. Verse 14 says, How shall they call how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now I know if you have the NIV it says, uh, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, but the word of there in that verse 14 is not really there in the original. How then shall they call upon him, Christ, in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him, Christ, whom they have not heard? So to call upon Christ, you have to believe upon Christ. In order to believe upon Christ, you have to have heard from Christ. You have to hear Christ. So in that sense, it's actually the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who's speaking and hearing from him, not about him, hearing from him leads to belief. And that leads to people calling upon him for salvation. I really think that's the idea here. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. He's the one speaking. How shall they believe in Christ whom they've not heard? Again, to believe upon Christ, you have to have heard not just about him. You have to actually hear from him. Wow, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. That's nothing new. It's not, that idea is not uh, original, like, like it never happened before. It's not foreign to Scripture. I read this this morning, at least a portion of it. John 10, Christ speaking about himself as the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, right? The people of Christ hear him. They listen to his voice. They follow him. Again, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. What's faith? Faith is the content, the entire content of what is true concerning the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, eternal God, one who stepped into time in order to die upon Calvary's cross, who's risen from the dead as the only substitute uh, uh, for mankind's sin to have reconciliation forgiveness of sin take place. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Again, he's the one who's speaking. Well, how does he do that? How, how does he speak? Answer, through the preacher sent through the preacher sent, through the message given, which is what? The word of God. The word of God. So the idea is that when the word of God is preached, through the messenger of God whom God has sent, Christ himself is the one speaking. That's the idea here. 
That's why we, in the context of evangelism, think about at the end of the book of Matthew, right? The Lord speaking, Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, teaching them to observe all that I, all that I, the person of Christ, commanded. Teach them my word. Right? That, that's how we do, right? That's how we evangelize. We teach them the word of God. We proclaim the word of Christ. We don't manipulate. We don't use persuasion. We don't use clever devices. We just faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ in the Bible, which the Holy Spirit takes and he brings conviction of sin and salvation to those who repent and believe upon Christ, the word of Christ. So again, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. James Boyce, he paraphrases it like this. He says, faith comes from hearing the gospel preached. And the reason faith comes from hearing the gospel preached is that Jesus Christ himself is speaking. He is both the object as well as the subject of the gospel message. He speaks through his messengers whom he has sent, his words and his message, the Bible. And when the Bible's preached, Christ speaks. That's why the Bible's so important. That's why the Bible is so compellingly important, so powerful. That's why we do nothing in all of our ministries here. We just preach the Bible. We just preach God's truth. We preach the word of the living God. And when the word of the living God is preached and understood, Christ, who is the grand subject, he himself is the one who declares the hope that men can find alone in him. He declares that truth. He speaks forth his message that is life-altering, that is life-transforming that is life-giving. It's the gospel of the free grace of God. Now again, not only did many Jews not heed the glad tidings, like many people today, they made excuses for their unbelief. So maybe the Jews aren't responsible for their unbelief. Maybe they, uh, they never heard about the message. Paul says, no, 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 that's not true. So now he's going to quote out of Psalm 19, verse 4, verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Question mark. Really is a rhetorical question. And Paul's going to answer that question by quoting out of the Septuagint, or the Greek version of the Old Testament. He's going to quote out again, again out of Psalm 19, verse 4. Indeed they have, their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Their voice has gone out, past tense to the ends of the world, indicates a universal offer of salvation. Now, if you're at all familiar with Psalm 19, you understand it has two parts, right? Uh, um, Two parts of it. Uh, The second part is about the Bible, uh, which is direct or special revelation. Uh, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is sure. The law of the the Lord is right, enduring forever, etc., and so forth. Restoring the soul, making wise the simple, uh, rejoicing the heart. The first part of Psalm 19 is about general revelation. And the fact that God declares his existence to everyone through creation. So David begins Psalm 19 like this. He says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands day to day. Pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words or where the voice is not heard. Their voice, is not, uh, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words uh, to the ends of the world. Their voice and their words. Again, God's referring to his revelation of himself through creation to all men. 
The fact that he is the creator and the fact that there is a creator, he's the creator, that extends everywhere in the world. It's gone out into all the earth, into all the ends of the world. So every man everywhere knows if there is a creation, there is a creator. Everybody knows that. They can see that. Now it's the same point that Paul made back in Romans uh, chapter 1, that the natural revelation is sufficient in extent and quality, that all men stand guilty before God because of their failure to acknowledge God as God, because of their failure to worship Him and in the context, because of their failure to thank Him. I mean, how many thankful people have you met? Answer, probably not many. Hopefully the answer is a whole lot in this room, right? But in the world, there's not a lot of thankful people. That's part of the failure to understand and and, and thank God. Who, Who gave you your breath? Who allows your heart to beat? Who gave you sunshine? Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. So God has given every man both internal and external evidence of his existence. Therefore, all men are without what? Without excuse. But revelation through creation, general revelation, that's not the gospel. General revelation declares that God is, that God exists. Uh, He's a God of power. But there's nothing in the creation that tells us anything about man's relationship to God, nor our need of reconciliation. So the question would be, why did Paul use that example? And the consensus amongst the commentators would be that the reason that Paul used the example of general revelation, extending it to all creation, to all men at all times, is to say that Israel is without excuse in rejecting the gospel of grace because the fact is, listen, they had heard the gospel. They had heard the gospel. Just like the creation declares God, Psalm 19 again goes on to say that God's word declares uh, he, uh, who he is also. And, and again, just like the creation uh, reaching to every man, so does God's word is what he's saying. The word of God reaches to all men. So again, what he's using by using Psalm 19, he's saying there's a connection between the first and second portion of the psalm. There's a connection between general revelation and special revelation. The two forms of uh, revelation are actually complementary. What can be said of one can generally be said of the other one. So in the first half of the psalm, when God says that revelation, that through creation, he continues, he says day after day, verse 2 of that psalm, day after day, night after night. He says it's abundant. The revelation of God is abundant through creation. Day after day, night after night. It says they pour forth speech. It's universal. Uh, there's no speech or language, again, where the voice is not heard. It goes through the entire world. So that is true of direct special revelation. The revelation of God put forth also in his word, that is also true. That that goes forth, goes forth everywhere. It's continuous. It's abundant. It's universal. What is true of direct revelation, special revelation, is also true of uh, the, the truth found in the gospel. God's message of the gospel sent forth everywhere, always, through his preachers. It's continuous. It's abundant. It's universal. 
Listen, God has been speaking to men about their need of a redeemer for several thousand years now. Thousands of years. 2,000 years since the the coming of Christ. Another 4,000 years perhaps to the beginning of the book of Genesis. And he's been from Genesis 3 onward saying that men need a redeemer and he's going to send one. And that men can be justified only by grace alone through faith alone apart from works. That's what he said in the very beginning. Back in the book of Genesis. That's the message. Nothing's changed. Nothing's new. And just as the revelation of God through creation reaches the entire world, so does the gospel of grace. And the truth is, like we looked at the last chapter in Romans 9, God's not unfair, God's not unjust. The truth is God is unbelievably merciful to men. Because there's almost no place on this planet in the world today where there's not some kind of gospel witness. In In nearly every country of the world, God's message, His voice has gone out into all the earth to the ends of the world, either through print media, radio, internet, or some other kind of electric form of of communication. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to focus on the opposite end of the stream. The 1.5 billion people or whatever the number is that have still not heard the gospel, and rightly, they should be the the object of our concern. But on the other hand, what about the 3.5 billion people who have heard? Who have heard the gospel? What about the fact that the gospel is declared literally around the clock via some form of electronic media here in the United States? I would say radio, but all the young people wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. The gospel is declared literally around the clock. There's certainly going to be nobody in the United States who's going to offer the excuse, I never had a chance to hear the gospel. That ain't going to fly in the day of judgment. And even if you happen to be one who had never heard the gospel before, you certainly can't say that after today, both morning and evening. Can't offer that as an excuse. So the reality is, if you this very day refuse to come to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, you refuse to acknowledge Him as both Lord and Savior, risen from the dead, then you bear your own guilt. You bear your own guilt. And if perhaps there be one in the country who has not heard the gospel that is freely and abundantly, continuously proclaimed, if that person was seeking to hear and understand, most certainly that person could find the message. But the truth is, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. John three, nineteen and 20. God's not keeping anybody away from the gospel. God didn't make the Jews not believe. They they chose to do that themselves. The Jews of Paul's day are just like men and women today who refuse to believe. They do so because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They fight, hold down the truth. It's not because they haven't heard. That's not an excuse. But somebody still goes, well, you know, maybe Israel really never did hear the gospel. And again, the answer to that is no, they heard it many times. The Lord constantly and graciously proclaimed the gospel message to the prophets. For example, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. 
you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. God says whoever seeks for him is going to find him. It's absolute. It's universal. It's an assurance from God to men that whoever seeks him will be found by him. It's God's offer of salvation, grace made known to all men, Jew and Gentile alike. The gospel, again, access to the person of God, forgiveness of sin granted to all men without distinction. Well, maybe Israel rejected the gospel because they didn't understand. That's it. They didn't understand. Verse 19. But surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, and by a nation without understanding I will anger you. Verse 20, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. Verse 19 again, but I say surely Israel did not know, did they? Paul says, oh, no. No, they knew. They knew. They knew very clearly the truth of the gospel. So again, what he does is he he quotes both Moses and Isaiah. And Moses represents the law. Isaiah represents the prophets. And the the law and the prophets is a twofold distinction of the Old Testament. So throughout the Old Testament, he's saying this is reality. Maybe the Jews didn't hear the gospel. Maybe they didn't understand it. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's just an excuse. Again, let's go back to the book of Genesis when God called Abram or Abraham. Genesis 12, 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? In you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God uh, called Abram, uh, Abraham, and then God called his, Abram, his uh, descendants, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And Israel was called to be, here it is, Exodus 19, verse 6, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19, 6. Israel, the entire nation, was to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Stand in the gap. Priests stand in the gap, right? They, they, they intercede between God and man. The nation of Israel was to be a blessing to the entire world, to intercede between God and man, to declare the universal nature of God's uh, desire to save all men the universal nature of the gospel of grace. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before him. Uh, Psalm 67, 1. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. I am God, there is no other. The Jews heard. The Jews understood the gospel. They knew that God offered salvation, grace, and mercy free to all men everywhere. Therefore, they were provoked to jealousy, provoked to anger. Again, verse 19, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, and by a nation without understanding, I will anger you. Now, the key to this whole idea here, the key to understanding that the nation of Israel, the Jews' fact, did understand the gospel, 
is, it's found in their reaction. That's the key. It's found in their reaction. So if the Jews did not understand that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, found in the finished work of the person of Jesus Christ alone, if they didn't understand that, why'd they get so upset? Why did they get upset if they didn't understand the gospel? Why, why did they have such an emotional reaction of jealousy and anger towards the Christians? I mean, after all, if Jesus is some, just some kind of religious lunatic uh, that the Jews had killed in order to shut him up and uh, stop him from accusing them, and he's dead, and they know that, and they know that dead men don't rise from the dead, then what's it to the Jews if pagans want to believe this nonsense about some guy named Jesus? If the gospel is a lie and utter foolishness, then why do they react so violently when it's proclaimed by the Gentiles? If it's false, and they knew it was false, wouldn't their reaction have been something along the lines of, who cares? Who cares what the Gentiles believe? Pagans can believe whatever they want to believe, as long as they leave us alone. As long as they leave me alone, you believe whatever you want. Just leave me alone with this foolishness. That's why all men know they're accountable before God because the gospel elicits a violent response from most people. Men know because the gospel has gone out everywhere. But again, that's not what they did. They didn't say, who cares? They, they got upset. They became jealous. They became angry. That's because they understood very well the gospel. They understood very clearly what God was saying. And they didn't like the fact that Jesus alone and not their own religious efforts could save them, like a lot of men, like a lot of religious people. They didn't like that Jesus only is the only means of salvation. And they didn't like the fact that God included Gentiles whom they could not stand. So again, the gospel that Paul is proclaiming is not something new. Christianity is not an invention by Paul or invention of some kind of pagan religion. Rather, Christianity is just the conclusion or the fulfillment of all that God proclaimed and promised in the Old Testament through the Law and the Prophets. When he says, I'll make you jealous by that which is not a nation, Israel could come and say, well, I thought we were your people. Well, you are, in a sense, but salvation comes not just on ethnic, to an ethnic class or a nation, but salvation is free to all men. And you guys were to be the heralds of my truth. You were to declare that to the nations as a kingdom of priests, but you, you refuse to do that. You refuse me. Therefore, I'll make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I'll anger you. Yeah, I know. You, you, you guys think you're pretty smart because you have my word. But you're disobedient to my word. Therefore, I'm going to take those people who have no understanding, an ignorant pagan group who did not know my word or my way, and I'm going to give them understanding, and I'm going to bless them, and me blessing them, the Gentiles, that's going to anger you. Because you rejected my way of righteousness. You've sought to stand in and establish your own righteousness, and you've rejected mine through my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Isaiah says very boldly, or Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. 
Very simply, God says, look, I'm going to reveal myself to those who weren't looking for me. I'm going to reveal myself to those who weren't looking for me. I'm going to make myself known to those who are not asking about me because I'm a gracious God and extend grace and mercy to all men. Now, James Boyce makes this comment here. He says, isn't it interesting that the Jews could live with Pilate whom they abhorred? They could endure the Roman occupation, although they didn't like it. They had no problems with the corrupt political and religious leaders. But when the Jews had to deal with Jesus, Paul, and the Christians, they wanted them dead. They wanted them murdered because of their hatred and their anger towards them. Solely because of the message they proclaimed. And the message that they proclaimed is that God would include the Gentiles in salvation. The message of God's grace and kindness is to all men, for whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, to the question, perhaps Israel never heard, Paul says, no, 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 not, not so. Uh, perhaps Israel didn't understand the gospel. No, not true, they did. They heard it, they understood it, they rejected it. Because they didn't like the implications. They didn't like the universal offer to all men. They didn't like the freeness of God's grace to all men. They refused to believe that God saves every man who will call upon him in belief. And they refused to believe in the gospel of free grace. They refused to believe, in essence, that they were no different than the Gentile dogs, as they would refer to them, all around them. They failed to believe the truth that they were sinners in need of a Savior, just like all men. So what they sought to do is to work for that which they could never attain. They sought to work for that which is free by their own effort, by their own salvation, to buy their own salvation, to work for their own salvation when salvation comes to all men by grace alone. They heard that. They understood it. They are disobedient. They didn't like it. They didn't like the gospel of grace, therefore they're lost. There's nothing new under the sun. The gospel elicits a violent response to those who stand in opposition to God because men want to do something to earn their salvation. Men who reject Christ reject their only means of salvation. So, what kind of excuse are you making? You who have heard the free grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ, you who have understood that there's no other way to God, no other way of salvation except through Christ and Him alone, what stops you from turning away from your sin and crying out to God in mercy this very day? For again, today, if you've heard the gospel, if you heard the voice of God, the voice of Christ, today's the day of salvation. For unto you, just like unto Israel, God stands literally with His hands outreached in an offer of mercy. Look at verse 21. But as for Israel, He says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long in an act of compassion. God holds forth his hands to those men who contradicted him, those who spoke against him, those who opposed his truth. Again, the Jews were uh, disobedient to God throughout almost their entire history. But God patiently dealt with them. God desired their salvation, and God kept bidding them to come. Just like you. 
You who have not repented, you who have refused his offer of mercy to this point, to this point, how many times have you heard the gospel? How many of you heard the, the gospel and the preacher command you to repentance and faith in Christ and you refused? And that refusal, that foolishness of that error could cost you eternally. And the fact is, if you're somebody who has heard the gospel more than once and have not repented, you're in a great position of peril. But if you've heard the gospel offer more than once, all that does is prove that God is long-sufferingly compassionate to all men and holds out his hands of, uh, of, uh, of grace. And if you hear the gospel and refuse to repent, you're without excuse. If you perish, you have no excuse. You can't blame God. And if you perish eternally, you alone are responsible. Because God says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. And again, for 2,000 years, God has stretched out his hands through the nail-pierced hands of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ's outstretched hands upon Calvary's cross, cross that God offers forgiveness and pardon of sin. It was a costly gift to him. It cost the life of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the shedding of his blood, forgiveness of sin is made possible for you and available. I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down. I thought it was good. The author says, There's no other God that has wounds save Jesus Christ. No other God that has wounds save Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, right? Savior of all men. So the word has been preached. Christ himself has spoken. The means of salvation provided. The way is open. If you desire eternal life, all you have to do is reach out and receive it. What God desires to have, what God desires for you to have is a free gift. The Jews, for the most part, they would not. Therefore, they were hopelessly lost. What a tragedy, right? Most men and women today, likewise, they refuse. What an utter tragedy to be hopelessly lost because you chose that. You chose to reject God's mercy, his offer of pardon and forgiveness through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we're thankful for our time and your word and thankful kind of for this kind of uh, quick run through the rest of this uh, 10th chapter. What a tremendous, tremendous truth that we find in it. We're thankful for your grace and mercy that continues to be extended to all men everywhere if they will but confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead you will save them. That's the promise. Whoever believes will never be disappointed in Christ. No distinction between any men. You're the same God who abounds in riches for all who call upon you. And the promise is whoever call upon you in the name of the Lord will be saved. And we're thankful for that. We praise you. We adore you. We're so thankful for a great day of worship, both morning and evening. We just stand humbly before you. Pray you take your word and use it in the hearts of those who have heard the, the, the message this evening. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.